Welcome Voltron fans to part two of Voltron Legendary Defender at WonderCon 2016. I'm here with my co-host Greg Tyler. Welcome Greg. It's good to be here Mark as always. Thanks Greg. I'm sorry again that we had to uh, mention that you weren't able to get to go to WonderCon. Yeah I'm the uh, I'll just be the surrogate for all the fans who like me couldn't be there. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to be uh, talking to two other people who were at WonderCon, and we're, we're going to be rubbing it in again. Ah, thanks. <laughs> okay, so uh, I think it's time to, to introduce our guests. Uh, we mentioned them in our last podcast, and I want to bring them on right now because we're going to be talking about the Voltron panel that happened at WonderCon. So our first guest uh, sat with us in the front row. Uh, you know her from her video that she released from the panel. Okay, so this is Danny DeWald. Hi, guys. It's good to be here, finally joining a podcast. Yeah, welcome aboard. Thank you. It's great to have you, Danny. Yeah, I'm, I always listen to you guys' podcasts, so it's really nice to uh, be part of one this time around. It's great to hear. Yeah. Great to hear that you listen to us. I'm glad yes. someone does. <laughs> <laughs> and and now you get to hear all the mistakes that we make along the way that we edit out. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. I break into pig Latin from time to time. It's really embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, and and into songs. Oh too. yes, that's really oh, bad. awesome. <laughs> we have another guest with us who also went to the panel, and you've heard her on the podcast previously during our talks about Voltron: The Third Dimension. So I want to welcome back to the podcast, Shannon Meir. Thank you so much for having me back. I really appreciate it. It, it is always great to hear from you, Shannon. And Shannon, I, I just wanted to correct something that we did in the last podcast. So could you could you correct us about the name that, that I had said in the last podcast? Okay. In, I guess in the last podcast, you interchangeably had introduced me as Shannon Muir Broder and Shannon Muir. The, the short version of this is I still use my maiden name professionally. I have a, it's a, it's always for business. So right, right. that's fine to use. Um, my married last name is Broden, ending in an N. So I also go by Shannon Muir Broden because Muir is now part of my middle name. So that's also legal to do that way. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to get that right from now on. Okay. Okay. <laughs> But, you know, I'll always know you as Miss Danubian Star Map, so. Yes, yes. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> yes, and now that we have a new show out, uh, that that's a good uh, point there, Greg, because it's almost like the way that, uh, you know, what happened to, to Star Wars when Disney took over about how the, the, the past canon was no longer valid. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't mean that your your Danubian star map is now invalid, does it? Well, here's my husband and I actually had a very long conversation about that in the car on the way home that night. And I said to him, you know, there's a part of me that just my heart just sinks because as Greg said, that's what everybody thinks of. And I sat there as a, as a fan early on before I came out and became a professional here in L.A., and went through and went through the show as it existed and wrote all that stuff and put it down and said, this is what I think it would be. And then World Event stepped up and said, yeah, we'll put it on our site as official. And yeah, I'm kind of in that same boat as, as the older writers on Star Wars because they're, this is a whole new reboot. They don't have to keep the name, the other heiress probably. They don't, may not be keeping any planet names whatsoever. My husband said back to me, he said, 
Shannon, you know, nothing, nothing changes what you did and what it brought to the bigger picture. And the, what we, what actually came up was in the Voltron third dimension podcast, remember we talked about Voltron force versus V3D. Right. And how was one more valid than the other? And we talked, and in the end, we both came to the idea that it's still all relevant. There's still so many branches of the same thing. It's the same message. Yep. Right. I agree with that completely. It's all, it's all one big happy Voltron multiverse. How's that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> we were all there at the WonderCon panel, and I wanted to get your guys' reactions to what what you had experienced because I know Danny. We had we had met with Danny before the panel, mm -hmm. and I thought while I was standing there before I even met with Danny, I thought I had seen you, Shannon, walking towards room 151. I could have sworn I saw you. It's possible. My my husband Kevin and I did sit in on part of Ratchet and Clank and Thunderbirds, which I understand you did. I think you did as well. Yes. Yes, we did. Yes. So that's yes, probably why you saw us. <laughs> Okay, so you had gone probably in before we did to Ratchet and Clank, and uh, we we probably were in there about five minutes after you. Did you guys try to move up during the the panels during Thunderbirds and and then the next one? We did move up for Thunderbirds and kind of kept our place for Voltron. We were about halfway on the first side on the far end, and it seemed like a pretty good vantage point. So we decided let you know just stay where we are and let people who may not have been to a Voltron panel or something before get slightly better seats. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was uh, I was at home watching Pee-wee's Big Holiday on Netflix, <laughs> which is a very good movie, by the way. <laughs> anyway, carry on. Uh, somehow it just doesn't compare, Greg. <laughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to play the whole the panel that we can play, okay, because uh, there were various parts where we weren't allowed to record anything. Mm-hmm. But we're able to talk about those things we saw. <laughs> yes. You guys have a pretty good memory of those of those scenes that they showed. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So why don't I just talk about your overall reaction to the whole panel? And and we, Shannon, we've seen your insight. So I just want to hear from Danny first. Oh Excellent. sure, yeah. Um, as far as the panel goes, uh, I I totally went in super excited to learn what DreamWorks was going to be doing, and you know as they kept on announcing who the showrunners were, and on um, you know inklings as to who were the cast members. I mean, it came from a rich history, so I was very very excited because I you know I watched Avatar, I watched Korra, so I knew the writing team was excellent. Um, and then what was presented at the panel only reaffirmed that, oh, this is going to be a very interesting series. And then as they started showing clips and kind of detailing some of the story out and the premise, I got really excited. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a old school loyalist, you know, I'm Lion Voltron all the way. I love the original series. I actually am probably one of the few that love third dimension and I did like Voltron force. But um, this new approach, new new reboot, I'm very excited for it. Um, yeah, Keith is not the leader. Shiro is. I don't mind that. It's a nice it's a nice change um, to the setup and giving a new dimension to the characters. So I want to see what happens when, you know, these characters are in different roles this time around, despite you know um, keeping some of the same characteristics that we are used to. Okay. 
Had you read some of the comic books previously? Oh, yeah. I, I, I read most of the comic books, but the one I think you guys mentioned was uh, Voltron Year One. I never I yeah. never really got around to reading that comic book series because, unfortunately, for me, like getting comics is very hard. There isn't much comic book stores that I can travel to um, easily. I would have to hunt, hunt down a comic book store in order to special order or... Um, get those comics. So unfortunately, I never got to read like Voltron Year One. Yeah, I'm I'm actually a luddite with the comics. I, I haven't read that many of them myself. I, yeah. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I mean, I I have the uh, I have the uh, Viz Media ones that came out for Voltron Force, and I have that collection. But yes, the Year One stuff, I don't know why I was unable to get it beyond not having um, immediate access to a reasonable comic book store in order to get it and. Um, the stores that I did like, you know, inquire with, they didn't carry the Voltron comic, so you had to special order it. Did you guys hear the uh, interview that we had with Brandon Thomas on the on the podcast? Yes, yes. Yep. Okay. Well, towards the end of that, I was able to get him to say what he would have done had he been able to get more issues out of this. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned the fact that uh, Sven would have become the leader of the Voltron Force. Mm-hmm. And in in his mind, he was always the leader. Oh. <laughs> it's it's kind of funny that he he sort of made that prediction in in that time, and now here we come to the next show, and well, the guy who was Sven is Shiro. Yeah. Is the leader. I'm still wondering if that was sort of if that was done because they were trying to sort of explain the uniform colors. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, but but yeah, maybe uh, maybe sheer quinky dink. Maybe the the folks behind the show have uh, have uh, looked at that comic. Who knows? I don't know, but I'm I'm just saying if there were multiple people out there who thought the same thing about Sven being the leader of the the group or Shirogani or whatever. Yeah. Uh, that uh, you know there were people that that thought alike on this. <laughs> we heard your 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 views of the uh, the panel, Danny. Uh, how about you, Shannon? Okay, since I know there's parts of it we'll discuss as we're actually listening, I'll just, like you said, take it from an overall perspective. Right. Mm-hmm. First off, I believe the question you just raised is answered in the panel. Because I could, I'm pretty sure it was, and that it wasn't one of the articles I read online, because it's, it's, it's really sticking in my head. But they, I know that they've said specifically why they chose Shiro in, in charge. Um, as to what I thought overall, it, it was interesting because uh, having worked professionally in LA and in animation. I, I, as you know, I love the property, but I also knew that it was in pretty good hands. As it turns out, the person who's currently the head of physical production at DreamWorks is Mark Taylor, the man who gave me my first job in animation. And again, running Vader's in. I'm not kidding. Wow. The man me twice, which already tells me caliber of the people he chose is good because I trust him. Wow. Wow. I had actually seen on uh, on LinkedIn that you had given a uh, recommendation to Mark Taylor. That was what? Yep. I don't know. I don't know Dos Santos or, or Lauren Montgomery, but I trust that because they were chosen, again, here's this, one of those things you talk about, Coinkitink, by the, by the folks who run Avatar. In fact, in your first piece, they talked a lot about Brian Konitsko, one of the, the two people who developed Avatar and Korra, and how he had been very selective about the art team he chose. Again, about knowing the caliber of people, 
When I was on Invader Zim, my boss was Brian Konitsko. That was his oh. job before Avatar. I'll wow. be darned. Wow. So wow. <laughs> that's my endorsement across the board. I trust the team, and yet I'm seeing them go a whole different direction with the property I've loved for 30 years. That's and cool. So, so I'm completely torn. It's like, I know you're going to do a great job, but I know you're going to completely change everything I fell in love with. And that's why I wrote the Tumblr piece the way I did. Okay. Because I knew, and I still know that's how I have to approach it. Well, well, having written that, you know, having written the Tumblr piece, you're already beginning to write about this new show. So I'm thinking maybe you could say, hey, guys, remember me? Uh, how about you let me write one of these episodes? <laughs> yeah, life is, life's a bit more complicated than that. I didn't know until the rest of you knew. I mean, like in the first half, they said it had been under development for two years and they brought in people they knew and trusted. And that's really a lot of the way this industry goes is bringing in people you know and trust. And there, and I don't know any of the writers that were named. Like I said, I don't I don't know the showrunners. And usually it's you bring in people that you know. Right. And it's like maybe, you know, who knows what the future holds? It's hard to say. But that's the other thing I got, you know, about having been down here nearly 20 years is anything can happen. And I'm, it's, I don't know. From what Tim had said that uh, the, during our roundtable interviews is that uh, they might need a couple more writers still. Wow. Yeah, that yeah, he did say that, but I was also but also had that twinge underneath of do I not have more writers because I don't have the funding yet? I'm just going to be blunt. Right. Um, <laughs> right. But but I feel for him because it sounds like it, they have to do a lot in a short time from what I heard of that interview. Yeah. The panel itself was great, very informative, very informative. I think a lot of it's going to just come out as we listen to it. So, yeah. I just but I left feeling pumped for everything I just said. I left feeling pumped and encouraged and that people will enjoy what they see this summer. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree, too. And I left the panel after seeing all the clips and getting insights from the actual voice actors and who the, the actual voice actors were. It just made me like, oh, my God, this looks so good. And it, it just the caliber of the acting and the animation quality. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to really enjoy this, but this looks amazing. So yeah. I, I'm very excited. I, I can't wait till June 10th and um, and you know, give my final opinion on it. it. I mean, I can weigh on my excitement on what they showed us at the at the panel, but, you know, that's that was just 15 minutes worth of clips that, you know, we're weighing our entire opinion on right now. And, and, uh, and uh, you know, that was 15 minutes of really good clips, but how is the rest of the series, you know, how is it animated? How is the story told? But, you know, I... I'm, a, I'm of the type that I will give anything a chance, and if it captures me within the first couple of episodes, then you, you know, you, you've made a fan for life. So hopefully that this isn't one of those series where they give you a couple of episodes and you're like, no, this is not Voltron. And that's what I'm, you know, that's in my deep down pit of my heart. I'm like, please let this be the Voltron in spirit uh, more than anything else, um, even though it's a reboot. But you know. I, I'm, I don't think I'll be disappointed. The, the thing that inspires me is, is that the, we have two sets of fandoms coming together. We have the Avatar, yeah. Airbender, Legend of Korra, you know. Korra. Legend of Korra. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we, have, we have those fandoms coming together with Voltron fandom. And it's an amazing thing because they you know, the people that followed those shows will probably follow the same group that created those shows to a Voltron show. Yeah, and I think that's kind of cool because, you know, the Avatar and Legend of Korra fandom, even though it's 
been what, like seven years for them. Um, you know, they're still a younger generation and maybe some of them never caught Voltron Force on Nicktoons or, and were never old enough to see Voltron the Third Dimension and have barely heard of Voltron the original stories. It, it's maybe a great way of introducing them to the series, even though it's a, it's a retelling or a reboot of it. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, they stick around as being fans of the original um, because of they were fans of Avatar and Legend of Korra that this will keep them around to, hey, what is this Voltron? And you mean there was an older series? So they, they might bring new fans to the older stuff too. Yeah, that was a very, uh, very well-crafted uh, uh, arrangement to bring in folks who are so acclaimed working on a show that has been so yeah. re- well-received. So uh, yeah. Uh, let's uh, let's hope it gives it, uh, in addition to their natural talents, you know, the the the, the quality that we all want, but uh, but also sort of a built-in audience that uh, that Voltron yeah. uh, deserves. So great, yes. indeed, right? Yes. So what do you say we get started with this whole uh, Voltron panel? Yes, let's start. Okay. Let's do it. All excited. As you remember, uh, we started with Jessica Chobot, who does Nerdist News. Yes. And she was at the panel, and she was also at the interviews following the panel, but not the whole time, just mostly in the beginning. But uh, she did a really good job of handling the audio problem that they had at the very beginning of this. Yeah. Because she just said, basically, oh, I guess I'll just talk louder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was good being in the, in the, the, in the first role for the panel, because you could pick up everything that they were saying. Unfortunately, I hope i don't know if the back of the room could hear especially when uh, uh the producers and the writers were talking um because there was a lot of information they were giving out and um i don't know if anybody in the back of the room could even understand what they were saying which is a good thing that we were in the front rows so we could get it it started to get tough from about what we were you were you were how far back we were toward the back part of the first section Okay. And Kevin and I were straining here at times at that point. So anybody farther back from us, yeah, may not. yeah. I mean, we were lucky to sit in the front row. So let's hope those people listen to this podcast so they can get what they missed. Okay. <laughs> yes. How's, how's that? Yes.
That one was definitely louder. Yeah, I wanted to cut in and just, uh, we might want to restate the cast because uh, the audio was still a bit difficult to hear. So for our listeners, it mm -hmm. might be good for us to spin through the cast. Do we happen to have a list on hand to do that? Yeah, I can tell you right right now. That'd be great because, again, it was a little difficult to hear. So thanks. Just so you know, they had introduced uh, Joaquin Dos Santos, Lauren Montgomery, yes. Tim Hedrick, and then they introduced Jeremy Shada, who was Lance, and it seemed to me that he got the loudest response. And then it was Bex Taylor Klaus. Bex Taylor Klaus. So Bex is Pidge, right? Right. Yes. Okay. And then jo yes. Josh Keaton, who's Shiro. Shiro. And then Tyler Labine, who's Hunk. Yes. And then it was Kim Kimberly Brooks, who's Alora. Yes. And then Reese Darby, who plays Corinne. Yeah. Now, I, I got the sense that Jessica said Corin. Yeah. Did you guys get that? I think, I think she I did. Think she, yeah, I think she mispronounced it as Corin. Yeah. And also, we should probably clarify up since we found out later mm -hmm. that the actor playing Keith was not present. Yeah, Stephen okay. Yoon. Right, Stephen yeah. Yoon. Yeah. Thank you. What you didn't hear at the end there, uh, Reese Darby came up, and as he got to his spot... He opened up his jacket, and you could see his Voltron shirt on, and that's why he got a larger response after he did that. Yes. Nice. Sort of like a, a child. 
Yeah, it's very difficult not to just sit down and eat a big bowl of, you know, Fruit Loops. <laughs> <laughs> it takes you back to that point. That's true. But, yeah, you're not lucky. What kind of, uh, what kind, do you ever feel like you get, you're at risk of getting stuck in the nostalgia of it all? And that maybe, like, how do you decide what to try new and what to discard? guys get why they were cheering yes i have no idea <laughs> <laughs> because the microphones finally turned on okay all right cool i thought it was yep. the squint test <laughs> the squint test <laughs> <laughs> no yeah it wasn't because of that it was because of the microphones turning on okay yeah. good all right so the squint test is when is when you squint it still kind of looks like the same yeah thing. Right. Right. it looks like the the original show maybe be recognizable so the little, little peak you guys got there background of, of why they built it the way they did yes okay so Tim talks about the fact that it's you know five lines coming together to form one giant robot which That's, is great that sounds familiar but it's also a lot of character development <laughs> <laughs> yay character development <laughs> and then Joaquin goes to add that it's it's a much bigger universe than you ever imagined in the original show mm-hmm works for me so i'm wondering how big we're going to get with this whole thing and is shannon going to have to make another star map for the whole universe because <laughs> uh, all, all i was trying to capture was they said everything took place within the one galaxy and that was the difference between lion and then voltron being our own galaxy was yeah. generally the conceit 
they're basically saying we're moving beyond that conceit. We're going. It sounds like we're going to go wherever we want or need to. Yeah, I'm I'm all in favor of that. So maybe this time around their mega thrusters are really really go. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's it's nice that uh, he says you know. And, you know, the the namesake defender of the universe and, you know, even in both shows, you know, you have Voltron of the Explorer ship and then you have Voltron on Eris. And what universe are they defending if they're stuck on a ship or on a planet all the time? So it's kind of neat to see that they understood that they're trying to defend. Oh, yeah, we're defenders of the universe. We're not just one stuck on one planet. We They need to start defending the universe. So that's a kind of kind of a novel approach. Yeah, it's kind of it reminded me of something when you said that. Mm-hmm. Is that the way the way that they would explain it? Now, bear in mind, we never got um, the third Voltron. But yes. Like the fleet of doom. The the terminology they originally were meant to use mm-hmm. was that the near universe, as in nearest to humanity, yes, was vehicle Voltron. Yes. Abandigus was middle universe, and Eris yes. was far universe. Yes. And those were the terms they used throughout Lion and Vehicle Voltron. Again, yes. here, throw the conceit away. Right. No, I, I'm wondering if they're still going to have things like power issues with, with Voltron. You remember how yes. both the original series and uh, Voltron Force always had seemed to have issues with power for, for Voltron? Well, maybe he'll uh, maybe those enormous wing things on the back of this new robot, or some kind of uh, boosters or hyperspace something, something, somethings that'll uh, get it from place to place, and then it's got a different power bank or a power supply for uh, uh, sword use and uh, lion yeah. head attacks and all the rest of that stuff. Who knows? Yeah. That was where she mentioned she for Pidge, right? Yeah. Wonder, yeah. This was so. My husband could vouch for this. This was because we had not been told anything about gender. And to clarify for anyone who doesn't know, there is an actress. There's a woman playing Pidge. Right. I am looking yes. up at this moment. Looking up. There's Bex. She says she. She's saying it's a it's a slip of the tongue. She means the actress, not the character. That's I'm correct. I'm looking at Bex. I'm looking. She says she, and I do an oh yes silently in my seat because i'm like yes i finally have a geek woman on the group yes like my my i my, my, will be crushed within minutes please continue <laughs> oh, oh, very quickly though uh i agree with you 100 percent, shannon i, I think this show is going to be a, a, a very exciting one but i i agree with you i wish pidge had been female in this show because in part we have five pilots who are all, all male men. Yeah, and uh, I, I I fully expect I am no insider, but I fully expect that the uh, the uh, the cast of pilots will shift during the course of this thir- these thirteen episodes to something that we may be more familiar with. That's just a guess on my part, um, but uh, still, it would be nice to have more than uh, the assumed Allura in the, in the in the pilot role as a female. So uh, I I would love to see a female pitch as well, but oh well. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I was uh, I was I was excited. Um, even if uh, Jessica said it was a slip of the tongue, um, I would have been I would have been for a female Pidge. Honestly, I would have I would have been. Oh, this is a nice change to the character, you know? Because again, you know, five guys. It's always five guys. So it's, it would be it would have been nice if if they gender swapped Pidge. Because I mean, he was the most nondescript sex that you could tell from the show. Because, yeah. you know, he wore a freaking headband. So you're like, wait, is this a boy or is this a girl? Right. And, um, and especially with Neil Ross's portrayal of Pidge's voice, you could never really tell if he was trying to do a really bad female or a really, a, a, a really young, young boy. Right. So um, if in this version, yeah, I would have I supported if Pidge was a female. And, um, and then when it was clarified later that it was a he, I was like, oh, dang. <laughs> Oh good. I know. I would. I. I would have. I would have embraced it. I would totally have loved that. Pidge would have been a in a female because it would have been you know bring more dynamic to the actual team, and um it would probably cement more of the I don't know if they're gonna do the hunk Pidge relationship, but it would have been it would have cemented that more I think in my opinion. Yeah. But um right. we'll we'll see we'll see what they do with the with the you know the the character pairings cuz you know from the old show we already knew that like Hunk and Pidge were kind of like best friends and Lance and Keith had their own kind of best friend rival shit. So um I just want to see what the dynamics is between the characters now. It's it sounds interesting cuz it I I, I we're going probably going to discuss the next clip which is where we're introduced to the characters and right. I we'll, we'll discuss it after after um at that time. Yeah, we're just finishing up the introduction to the clip and then we'll talk about the clip. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's describe the clip. What are your thoughts? I am looking forward to hearing this. <laughs> so basically, the clip opens up with uh, Pidge, Hunk, and Lance are investigating out in this desert at night. And uh, they follow, I guess they uh, happen upon an encampment in the middle of the desert. And they're wondering, you know, they're wondering what's going on. And then they realize, oh, they have Shiro there. Um, and uh, of course, they're like, wait. Shiro's been missing for a year, you know, they're one of their best pilots and they're working up uh, kind of um, a plan to try and rescue him. Um, in the meantime, we see, a, we see part of what's happening to Shiro in this encampment. He's strapped to a medical table and these doctors are over him, in, you know, examining him and he's yelling about, you know, you know, I've been gone. I, I, they're coming, and he, he's trying to give out a warning as to what's going to happen, and that uh, everybody's in danger. And so it jumps between uh, Hunk Pidge and Lance, and uh, him on the table. And then we see that Hunk Pidge and Lance are trying to plan to rescue him. And the first thing they suggest is creating a diversion, but a diversion is already happening. And they notice somebody flying in to the encampment, and they realize. Or Lance realizes actually that oh my God it's actually Keith. 
so Keith is already initiating his rescue of Shiro at this point. So they're like, let's get in on the action. And they start running toward the encampment to figure out what's going on. And they see Keith uh, rescuing Shiro at this point, And they have to now find an escape route. So they have a bunch of shenanigans trying to figure out how they're going to pack everyone on Keith's small little speeder thing that he flies away with. And having the uh, military now chase them on their escape route and it's uh it's high flying action as far as this goes and um the humor that you expect from uh watching avatar and legend of korra is definitely in in this uh new series as well as we can see in this clip so uh sounds like a good summary but having not seen it does that jibe with your recollections mark and shannon very well yeah so one of the funny things was, was that Lance, you know, has this competitive nature with Keith. Mm-hmm. So obviously he wasn't, he wasn't going to let Keith uh, be the only one to, to rescue Shiro. Yes. So he, 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 he wanted to get some of the credit too. So uh, the other thing was, was that when, when Hunk got on his speeder at the back of the speeder, the, the speeder just sort of like fell backwards. Yeah. And it was out of sh- the sheer weight of Hunk. You know, so it was that kind of funny shenanigans that was yeah. going on. Yeah, it, 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 like I said, if you are a fan of the uh, Legend of Korra and Avatar and the humor that the characters had in those series, like, you know, with each other, it's totally present in um, in in this clip. And I'm like, if this is what we're going to see and what we're expecting in the series, I'm like, this is going to be a very fun series to watch. And this is all I'm getting from this little five-minute clip they showed at the panel. So I'm like, oh my god! I know, I, I, I'm, I'm totally for this. This is, this is awesome. Yeah, Shannon, what did you get out of the clip? I actually was in, was enjoying listening to, to Danny's perspective. One of the things that I really liked about it, because you, you guys have got the content down pretty well. As somebody who's worked on series, I was looking at like some of the close-ups of Lance's face at times when he was talking, and I'm like, those mouth movements work. They make sense. I mean, see, it's the Cora art style, but mm-hmm. there's a whole science. There's a whole science to I mean, Cora like style rather, but there's a whole science to how you do mouth movements and lip timing. I've I've learned some of that, and I'm like, I'm looking at that different art style, and yet I am seeing Lance's face from the original show. Yeah, there was a mismatch for me at all. That was that was well done. Wow. In terms, in terms of plot, I mean, I, I was. Totally, I was totally hooked. It worked for me. I'm like, this conceit for getting them all together in the same place really works, and yet it's totally different. Cool. Mm-hmm. But I just think I was repeating what you've already said if I said much more. So. Well, it was our first chance to see all the all the five together. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was a, that was an uplifting moment. So he definitely has to learn how to uh, work better in a team. 
Keith, obviously, a lot. Keith is uh, played by the awesome Stephen Ewan from The Walking Dead, if you guys like that show. He's awesome. Yeah. So that's a little bit of Lance. And Lance pilots the blue lion, which I guess is the, the kind lion, which is why it accepts kind of a jerky guy like Lance. Yeah, he's kind of a kind lion. So I just wanted to say something about that. He was talking about how Blue Lion was was the kind lion and that uh, maybe that's why it picked Lance because he was the jerky guy. <laughs> did you guys get that? I, I did. It actually makes more sense to me having heard the first part. I forget who was being who he's in the interview with in, in the in the one that you had prior to this. Okay. He meant about his character growing during the arc. Is that part of where he was coming from in that reference? I don't know. <laughs> That's the only thing I can think of, because at the time it sounded weird. Right. And I guess, and again, I'm the outsider. I'm the outsider, but I can only point out the, the, the thing that stands out to me, which is that Lance now flies Blue Lion, which, uh, as I had pointed out during the previous podcast, happens to match the color of the uniform that Lance wore in the 80s series. So I, 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 uh, I and then we'll hear that Keith flies red and uh, Shiro flies black again, matching their eighties flight suit colors, um, which, which I I, may be sheer coincidence, but it sure doesn't seem that way to me. Um, It it makes me wonder if these guys are going to have a role shift at some point over these episodes, but I think we'll, we'll find out. Yeah. What I'm trying to establish just based on their, their descriptions of their roles is do the lions have sentience in this one? Do the lions have the ability to pick their pilot? The impression and, I got was yes. Okay. Go ahead yes. and run with it. I mean, in, in, in the further clips uh, that we'll see or we'll talk about, I think um, I think it'll establish that. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'll take your word for it. I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> and again, I found that interesting because we, we never saw that element in the original show, but it was heavily underscored in Third Dimension, and then... Kind of worked in Voltron Force to being there, and yet because they could do more stuff with the lions, kind of got lost again. But here it's like they're going back to that. It feels like that is where they're going again. It's the sentient stuff. And that whole sentient thing uh, started with Mark Handler, I believe. That's correct. Yep. Okay, here we go. So he's uh, he's got this whole ulterior motives and everything. He wants to be doing this to find his missing missing family, and then he gets kind of thrown into everything. He's really really into everything technology. Like if 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 it's human, it's horror. If it's technology, he loves it. And so you know, I I, I can understand that. Um, but the Green Lion is 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 all about intelligence and bravery, and so I think that's why Pitch Pitch connection. And just to add to that, Pidge's family was on the mission with Shiro, gone for a year. Shiro comes back without Pidge's family. Pidge is on the search for family. Yeah, so that was a key plot point there. Yeah, that kind of meshes into Pidge's little uh, change in his backstory. So it kind of cools. It ties him. It ties all the characters together, in some sort. Um, you know, even though he's uh, friends with Hunk uh, and Lance right now, but it really nice that they also tied him into 
Shiro and uh, what happened to his parents. So it's kind of cool, and, and sorry to say, but it's it's like, wow, this sounds like a fan fiction come to life because I think <laughs> I think in several of the Voltron fan fictions, and I think I addressed this in one of my fan fictions, is that for Pidge's uh, parents, they're not totally uh, they they were somehow missing or they left him on Earth and he's tied to a previous Galaxy Alliance type of exploration and was lost in the process and him and him and his brother were kind of like abandoned on Earth too and all they could do was like join the Galaxy Garrison and Alliance just so they can have a uh, reason to go out in space and maybe one day figure out what happened to their parents. So like I said, it, it kind of like sounds like a Voltron fan fiction come to life at that point, but I think it's an it's an awesome change to his backstory. What they've done is they have twisted elements from the original show. Yeah. Well, yeah. Sure. Well, that's what I'm saying is they've kept the family connection. I mean, in the original series, we know that he was from the home planet of Balto. Balto yeah. We know that Balto was destroyed and his family escaped. And it was um, it was a rewrite over the original Go Lion, as I understand it, where the entire planet was just destroyed. But but mm-hmm. the take on it that we were actually given in Voltron was that his you know his family escaped in search of finding you know finding a new world being displaced. Yeah. And yeah. we never do find out what happens. Third Dimension attempted to address that with one of its episodes, where they find the new planet Balto, where the survivors went. Um, we don't meet, do we? It's been so long now. I don't know if we meet. Uh, anyone in his family directly in that episode, but the survivors of his home planet, at least. Yeah. Were addressed. So the idea that they realized Pitch, yeah, Pitch still has family loss and they're morphing it to what they need. The Voltron Force episodes just totally disregarded what happened in the previous series, and there was a Balto, and yeah. it was the Tech Ninja planet. Yeah, yeah, the Tech Ninja planet. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I, rem- I remember that episode. Yeah, I remember Jeremy saying in one of his interviews, he's like, yeah, we just totally disregarded that uh, Balto blew up. Let's forget all about that. Except it didn't blow up in the 80s show in in uh, Voltron. But yeah, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> it, was demol- it was demolished, but everybody escaped to their shelters. Right. Who, who 
is a born leader, somebody that everybody is just going to follow uh, without question. And the uh, cool thing about the black line is that he can only be uh, he can only be freed when the other four lines are found. Okay. Well, he said a mouthful there, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One, one, the first thing I noticed was he mentioned uh, the Gaura, which yeah. uh, which is a change from the original series. Planet Doom in Go Lion was called Gaura, yeah. and mm-hmm. so yeah, it sounds like they're mixing uh, terminology from the original Voltron show as well as Go Lion, which yeah. I think is cool because uh, the the term Planet Doom is a little bit cheesy. <laughs> yeah, agree. And we and we won't be talking about drools. Yes. It's all Gara, Garans, Garas. Right, because yeah. that was yeah. one of the one of the conceits that held the two, the Lion and the Vehicle series together was that Zarkon was considered a renegade tyrant of yeah. Hazar people. He actually makes a reference in one of the Vehicle episodes. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's how they explained it. But here, we're again one of those things you just look at and you go, okay, this is a new adventure. We start from scratch. Let's see where we go. Yep. Yeah. And, and what he said about Shiro uh, was true about the, the Black Lion, uh, about uh, him being confused and everything because of what had happened during that year. Uh, he's, he's going to be able to, you know, pull these, these personalities together and be able to form Voltron. And I, I think you'll hear it later on in the, in, the, in the panel that they actually do say form Voltron. It is interesting that uh, that he makes a comment about the black lion not being uh, uh, retrievable or whatever until the other four lions are. It's it 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 does parallel the uh, the original series for yeah. different for different reasons, of course. Yeah. Uh, the key was missing in in the sense in the uh, Voltron show, and the you know the space mice had to find it. But uh, and even in Voltron Force, it was the the last lion to uh, to reach Eris. After uh, after the uh, red, green, blue, and yellow had been recovered, you know, yeah. it was so uh, it, it's sort of uh, everything old is new again. So kind of interesting. Yeah. After that, Shiro was actually our Sven character from Voltron. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we did is we went back to the original Go Lion, and uh, we just kind of pulled his name from there because we couldn't really justify having a Swedish guy. We tried to try to you know get some uh, diversity on the team. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so my name is Tyler Levine and I play Shiro in the show. <laughs> the de facto leader of Voltron. And some minor discrepancies, some squabbles amongst the cast, who is the real leader of the Voltron, but I believe you can't walk without a leg. <laughs> Yeah, I imagine how they're tight or health ways. We're 
I'd be more like Hunk, I think, than any of the other pilots, too, because I, I don't do well with high-speed flying up and down, left and right, and I'd probably throw up, too. <laughs> the, the funny thing is, again, I, I very recently rewatched the very first Lion Force episode from the 80s, and one of the things that stands out is as, as the space explorers are escaping their dungeon cell on Planet Doom, uh, when Hunk escapes the cell, they're all standing on this ledge overlooking the... Uh, the, the Blue Robies feeding pit, and Hunk is terrified of heights to the point that he's hugging Pidge for support. The idea that uh, Hunk is uh, not initially cut out to be a pilot, sort of, you know, he, he has his issues that the other guys don't, the, the smaller folks don't, is uh, sort of paralleling the uh, the 80s show, in that, and at least in that one scene. Right. One thing I found interesting was the big emphasis that he had on Hunk and Lance being buddy-buddy. Yes. That's a bit of a change. Yes. It, it makes sense in the, because in this show, Pidge seems to be the outsider. You know, um, you know, Pidge and Hunk have been the buddies, the de facto buddies in prior series. Mm -hmm. But uh, in this case, Pidge has got a different backstory and different goals. So uh, it, it makes sense to transfer that, I think. Yeah, okay. I, I agree. And um, like I said, um, the character dynamics so far, what's present is... Yeah, Pidge seems to be the outsider, but he's somehow glommed on to Hunk and Lance, so they seem to be the the three core friends right now. So, which is a nice change um, because again, from the old series, you know, we're used to having the Lance, um, Sven, Keith kind of uh, grouping, and Hunk and Pidge were their own grouping. So it's kind of neat to see this change in dynamics. Me too, because. I mean, you were talking about dynamics. When we get to the end of the, you know, the original show, we kind of feel, you know, here's Hunk and Pidge, best of buddies. Mm -hmm. Here's Keith and Alyssa. And then poor Lance, the loner. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, I was kind of <laughs> championing him. So the dynamics excite me. Yes, yes. They excite me as well. So it, it's nice. But what I like also, you know, just to relate on Lance is that I'm kind of happy they, they kept some of their characteristics from their older selves. Yeah. Um, Lance being the playboy, Hunk being the uh, kind of the brute force mechanic type person and Pidge still being the science uh, nerdy kid so it's it's kind of nice that they kept that but their interaction with each other is what you know the, the new dynamics is what's really nice too and as I said during the last podcast episode if this show were a carbon copy of the original series then why make a new show at all so mm -hmm. I, I'm all for the uh, I'm all for the new for the fresh approach yes all right, well, we, we had heard from four of the pilots, so uh, you get a little bit of, of a surprise here for the, yes. for the panel.
Ultron, legendary defender. Um, I'm very excited for you guys to see this show. We've been working so hard on it, and Joaquin and Lauren have created something so amazing and so great that revisits something that I really loved in my childhood. Um, I have the honor of playing Keith, who gets to pilot the Red Lion, uh, and I'm really excited for you guys to see how his journey unfolds. I know you guys get to see just a small sneak peek uh, of Legendary Defender, but I will assure you that what's ahead in Season 1 is going to be awesome. So, enjoy, and thank you so much for your support. So that was Stephen Yoon. Very cool. So, uh, uh, I don't know if either, if any of you watched The Walking Dead. I've only recently begun watching that. Uh, I, I really admire his uh, portrayal of Glenn on the show, and uh, I look forward to seeing what he brings to Voltron. I was kind of uh, surprised that they did get a, um, you know, somebody who's already in a in another great series, uh, Walking Dead, and he got got the role of Keith, and I'm like, wow, this is gonna be kind of interesting, and you know how. We, we're always uh, trying to figure out the nationalities of the characters and, uh, you know, the original series didn't lend itself to defining exactly what nationalities they were. So it's kind of neat that maybe Keith is actually Asian and he's being portrayed by an Asian. So it's it's kind of a kind of a nice turnaround to see what maybe they got influence from the actors or is the actors going to be influencing the character and their personalities. Right. Anything you want to say, Shannon, about uh, Keith? Pretty much agreeing with everybody else at this point. I think the the casting choices are good. I will be blunt. I'm probably the maybe the only one of us that has not seen The Walking Dead, so I'm not as familiar with the actor's work. But I think from what I've what I've heard and but definitely and the passion that he portrayed in that piece. I mean, you guys are just here. The folks that are listening are just hearing the audio. But to mm-hmm. actually see what they captured on camera, how how he approached it, I think he will be good for the role. Yep. This is the one where they introduce uh, Blue Lion, right? Uh, yes, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. this was interesting uh, because uh, we get to see uh, Blue Lion for the first time. So whatever goes on, uh, Shiro, Lance, Hunk, Pidge, um, they're in a cave of some sort, and they happen upon uh, Blue Lion. So I'm assuming that uh, Shiro has been able to lead them to where Blue Lion is. Of course, uh, Blue Lion is surrounded by this uh, energy shield, and there's... They're looking at this energy shield as like how we're supposed to get through this. And I guess this is a way to tell that uh, Lance is going to be the pilot of Blue Lion. But he approaches the shield and he's able to just stick his hand through it. And he figures out, hey, um, you know, we can just walk through this shield. So with his help, they're able to enter uh, Blue Lion. And just imagine these five guys now all crammed into this one small little cockpit and nobody has an idea of what's going on and uh, and uh, trying to figure out how, this, how to operate the lion. And Lance being uh, the overconfident guy he is, he just says, you know what, I'm just going to take the seat and he starts figuring it out. And in the process, he's able to actually activate Blue Lion. So 
I guess this is where, uh, you know, where we assume that in previous uh, Voltron lore, the lions are sentient and they can tell who's the right pilot for them. And a blue lion allows Lance to be able to activate him and then um, they are able to fly out of the cave. And so we get to see the very first lion of Voltron being operated by the very first pilot. So Lance is going to be the definite blue lion pilot in this series. Right. And, and we get the sense also that blue lion almost accepted uh, Lance as its pilot and that we got those types of feelings uh, actually in Voltron Force when we saw a flashback of Karan and Wade when uh, Wade tried to pilot one of the lions when in his old academy days and the lion rejected him. Yeah. And, and actually in a, in a different episode, Keith sort of had to win back Black Lion by p- playing the alpha male again. Uh, right. and, th- and then in the third dimension, there was the episode in which Amalgamus uh, replaced the pilots with robots and the lions just outright rejected them. And, uh, you know, sh- suggesting once again, there's some kind of a choice in the matter on the part of the lions. Right. And of course, we know where they go after they, they take Blue Lion because yep. of what uh, Tim had said. Yeah. I noticed that they chose, there's, there may be other script reasons, but I found it very interesting that they chose Blue to be the first to be found. Because that is the one, you know, in the original conceit, that it's Sven's first and Allura's second. And they made mm-hmm. it very clear in this one, it starts out belonging to neither one of them. It's a yeah. very visible symbol that this is not quite the show you remember. Yeah. I also wonder, and I just had this thought, and again, I've been re-watching some of the, the 80s episodes pretty recently to refresh my memory of those, and and um, it, it is interesting that the blue lion is sort of in, uh, unlocking the other lions by taking the uh, the uh, the people to them. Uh, it's It sort of uh, gives blue lion a, a special role here, at least in the early shows, which reminds me a bit of one of the uh, intermediary uh, lion force episodes from the 80s where blue lion is the power source or the, the main power source of Voltron. Um, so you have a, you have a special role there in the eighties for the blue lion, as well as in this show, seemingly. And I was just joking and I was like, Oh, I'll read it. You know, his lines while he lays out. And I just did like a Lance, I mean, a, a, a Grand impression. I didn't think they were actually going to like keep doing it. And Andre Romano or awesome voice director was like, Oh no, no, you come in, you keep doing it. You do it for the whole scene. And I was like, Oh crap. <laughs> I mean, you know, again, 
this thing needed to kind of pass the squint test so fans of the original series could obviously latch onto it. But I think the idea is is that you know when you watch a show like this growing up, you sort of fill in the gaps that aren't necessarily there. Nostalgia, you know, plays a huge part of it. So I think we were really just trying to fill in a ton of the gaps that weren't necessarily there in the original series. So every character in the show has a has a backstory and a motivation that matters. Um, things like the Robies that were sort of you know, kind of disposable bad guys in the original series. Those guys, you know, there are just some of those encounters that Voltron's merely going to survive. He's, gonna, he's barely going to get away from. Um, and, and so the stakes, I think, on the whole, really are, are sort of, you know, elevated to a higher level. Yeah, one thing we haven't talked about yet is Zarkon is back in our show, and he's super mad. So they introduced Neil Kaplan as Zarkon. Yes. And so, Mark, you had said in the, during our recording of the last uh, podcast episode that he actually was not a formal guest up on stage. Right. He was in the audience with us. He was definitely in the audience with us. Okay. Interesting. Um, so so has, is anyone familiar with his work? Yeah, he's uh he's definitely been um in a lot of animation uh and animes, but uh for those who are into more of the American animation, then he was Optimus Prime in uh Transformers Robots in Disguise, which I think is still airing on uh one of the channels. Oh, okay. So um yeah, if if you want to hear him as what he was, then uh yeah, Optimus Prime would be his uh main role right now but he was also in Power Rangers Lightspeed Rescue and he's been in um, a lot of other anime like uh, Naruto and Bleach where, which are very uh, popular ones and uh, he is also in Digimon um, lots of video games so he's been around he, he, he's a very very good uh, voice actor and he's done a lot of stuff so I totally can see him doing his Archon role based on what I've heard um, during for his um, for his Optimus Prime role, so he's a he has a very good range. Well, great. I also heard that he was a pretty good impressionist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's able to take other actors, uh, you know, voices and try to emulate them. Yeah. So I'm kind of like, well, what is he gonna? What is his? What is his influence for his Zarkon? Because um, we never got to hear it um, in the in the panel. So I'm wondering what his version of Zarkon is going to sound like. So is he going to take some Jack Angel with it, or is, is it totally a new new version of Zarkon that we're going to hear? Whatever it is, it's going to be scarier, because they said that, uh, you know, he's been ruling the universe for 10,000 years. And uh, and according to them, he's really evil. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it, and uh, I, I really want to see his version based on his already, uh, his history. So I'm very excited. In, in re-watching the first episode, the first Lion Force episode from Defender mm -hmm. of the Universe recently, um, 
uh, I, I was struck, you know, it, uh, by how nasty the Doom guys were, even in the 80s series in the earliest episodes before it became a bit more cliche with the Robeast of the Week kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, when you see those guys, the space explorers on planet Doom, and you see just, you know, and, and a lot of material was trimmed from Golion, obviously, but what is still there is really, really creepy. Um it, it'll be interesting to see how they how they take this if they they consider this new Zarkon to be even more nasty. And which is kind of kind of neat that it is on you know Netflix. It's not on on a network that has all these you know regulations as far as what children's cartoons can contain. So I I want to see what envelopes they're going to be pushing as far as the more I I wouldn't I won't say adult content but more mature in a sense, to see what this King's Archon and what his forces actually do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm very curious. And as I said in the, the previous podcast episode, I'll, I'll be very interested in seeing how appropriate some of this material is for uh, the same uh, kids who will presumably be buying the toys. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it, you want mature, you want content that it's richer and deeper than, than perhaps some, some of the eighties fair tended to be. But uh, you know, how far do you go before you lose sight of the, uh, of your, you know, there's gotta be a, a target demographic of kids too. So it'll be very interesting to see how they walk that line. Yes. Yeah. And um, again, I'm looking forward to it. I want to see how, how they they broach subjects and um, and content matter and how the story will reflect it. That pretty well hit the nail on the head. You know, I've I've been here. I I know it's it's a business, and ancillary income is always a, a big part of how projects keep going. Isn't it's, it's one you can't just produce content anymore, just make it, and then just keep on making content. So. There is that balance. People are coming to services, as she said, because not the same restrictions as broadcast and even some of the cable companies, you know, lower cable companies have. You know, Netflix and those guys seem to allow a greater breadth of things. But what's the trade-off going to be when you have other sources where you know you're going to want to bring in the funding? Yeah. You know? Right. Being that some of you are fans of the show and grew up with it, um, what has been your favorite part of the creative process so far? Really, it's just, for me, it's been just revisiting these characters that, like, I loved so much as a kid, and now we get to kind of take them, like, into our own hands and mold them a little bit more and make them into, you know, what we remember them being when we go back and, like, we scoured the old series uh, in preparation for this, and we even went back and watched all of Goline, and, like, even between Goline and Voltron, the characters had different personalities, and so we had kind of this awesome, like, best range of stuff to pull from. We got to look at Golan, we got to look at Voltron, and we can kind of cherry pick the things that we like best from each of them, and then make this show, which is a hybrid of Voltron, Golan, and just everything that we love and we want to bring to it. And you know what's weird is, is nostalgia is kind of a heck of a thing, because in my mind, you know, Shiro or Sven was always the leader, and he kind of kicks the bucket in the original series, and I was like, and then, and then you know, Keith sort of steps up in that leadership position, and I was sort of Telling that to both Tim and, and Lauren the other day, and they were like, no, man, Keith was always the leader. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, he was just always the leader. I was like, oh, I'm talking about the Go Line version. They were like, no, Keith was the leader in that one, too. <laughs> your brain just sort of, like, starts filling in these pieces. So in, in my mind, you know, Shiro, Sven, was always kind of the leader. I guess he was really. He was a cooler guy. Uh, thank you. I, I love the fact that I 
I just get to uh, yell out things like form blazing sword and form ultra. I mean, this is, this is what I used to do when I was a kid, and now I'm an adult. I get to say the same thing. <laughs> and I'm actually like the guy on the screen doing it. Did anybody's hair stand up on that one? Yeah, at, at the panel, I definitely had that little little goosebump, you know, thing. I was like, oh, this is oh, it, it was just it was just so nice to hear it, you know. Yeah. Even though it's a little different from what we're used to hearing, um, it's still, I don't know. I guess as you know, every time you hear "Let's form Voltron" or "Let's you know form Voltron" or somebody yelling it, it just it's it's still one of those. Oh my God, I'm a kid again, you know. So it was really nice that he got to say it in the panel, and and I'm looking forward to seeing the situations where he has to definitely form Voltron. When I heard him say "form Voltron" and he he did it with that that powerful voice, that's not Josh Keaton's normal voice. So he brings that out of him. <laughs> he he uses that diaphragm and he gets it going. But it sounded like I I heard both Neil Ross and Giles Panton at the same time. And it was really weird that I, that I heard both of those actors' voices coming out of him. It was, it was like Keith. Hmm. Like a composite Keith. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, I think the casting of, of Josh Keaton for that, and to hear him do it, worked extremely well. I do, of all the panelists, Josh's work is the one I know the best because... Um, I've heard him in a number of shows like Spider-Man. And mm -hmm. Greg, Weissman is, Greg Weissman is a friend of mine yeah. and a mentor. And so I've gotten used to following his work. And so I, I know Josh from there. I was like, yeah, you can definitely, you're definitely working here. I like this. But the other point I was going to bring up, and, and I'm glad that I waited, is that early, early on, the question was raised, did we find out why they made the choice they did with Shiro? We just heard Dos Santos say it right there. Mm -hmm. That he had built that impression to him that that he should always be the lead. Yeah, Sven. He he always says, "Oh, Sven." You know, so in his in his mind, in what he remembered, he thought Sven was always the leader, and he's like, "Oh no, it must have been in Golion." And no, Keith was or or Kogane in Golion was still the leader. So, personally, I think it's because back back when the '80s show kind of aired. Sven and Keith really look similar. Like yes. their character, their character designs are very similar. So I can understand where people kind of got confused, especially when they started in their uniforms. You couldn't really tell. Okay, is that the Keith or is that Lant or is that Sven in the outfits? Because it, you're like, wait, this doesn't make sense. So I can see where some people might have got confused from the eighty series. Maybe that Sven was the actual leader, but it was actually Keith who was. So I can understand where he came from and, and believing that Sven was always the leader. But I, I think this change for this series is, a, is an awesome one to have, um, have Shiro, a.k.a. the Sven character, be the leader instead and not such a throwaway character as we were used, you know, used to in Golion or, and in Voltron. Right. But I can also, something else that I, that I stop and think about it is... Mm -hmm. um, is when you know when it when push came to shove, Sven Shiro, you know Shirogane in the original yeah. is the one who's willing to take on Hagar by himself. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. the one that pushed and that's it. Where I, you know that to me maybe that's what left that impression in his mind. Mm -hmm. 
the, the, the process of getting involved with the show, like what it means to me, and I assume everybody else who's involved with the show, is that there was, there was a, something resonated for all of us in the original Voltron series, or series is, that's the technical term for it, by the way. Um, it's a plural of series. And uh, it, 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 like you, you're speaking on these gaps, these sort of like gaps in your memory of what happened in the show. I really remember making up my own show. You know what I mean? Like I had the toys, the toys meant everything to me. It was me and my friends and my sandbox and all that stuff. I remember the show, but I think this, making the show now, and what these guys have done with the story and, and the depth of character that we've been speaking about, it's gonna have, it's gonna be able to hit both those pockets, I think, for kids. They're gonna really resonate with the story, and adults, obviously. No offense. Uh, it's gonna resonate story-wise, and I think, you know, the, uh, the sort of playful element of it is also gonna mean a lot to people, which I think is a new, that's bringing a bit of a newer element to the show than, than we had as children. So I think it's really cool. It's a fun show. I think before it was, you know, it was these heroic dudes on a mission. Now it's you know, there's a ton of fun injecting into each right. one of the characters. And, I mean, what, what you what you hear up here is a lot of what actually makes it into the show. That that sort of banter between our cast. Um, it's it's really it's, it's a cool, fun, natural vibe. It's epic. <laughs> um, so, what is there anything in particular that any of you are excited for fans to see? A specific moment in the episode that you remember doing, and you're like, I thought it was really cool. And I really hope. Enjoy that one thing. Yeah, like the first time, that was a good time. <laughs> if my dad would say, good luck with Voltar today. <laughs> the first time Voltron forms, the first time we got to do that, yell that as a cast, have the realization, the first time we saw it all together at DreamWorks, I, every hair on my body stood up. Well, not every hair, but a lot of the hairs on my body stood up. Well, I think that actually leads us into our third and final clip uh, called Fantastic Robies. Now, what can you kind of touch on this? We don't always see Voltron in every single episode, but that also kind of plays into the character development as well. So, yeah, I, mean, I think the idea behind not seeing him in every episode. Obviously, we have to think sort of production-minded, so that saves a couple bucks here and there. But also, when he does show up, it matters. It's a huge deal. Um, and especially when you see him take on our robies. So, uh, the clip we're about to see here is Voltron doing battle with uh, one of the guys that uh, sort of stands up to him. Which, by the way, none of us on this side have actually seen this clip yet, so we're watching it first time. Yeah, you guys. Okay, so this is the clip with the first Robies that anybody has ever seen. So what now, happened? How about you, Shannon? I would like you to run with it, because toward the end of the panel, I mean, I'm still listening, but on the last two clips, I have to admit, I wasn't paying attention full time. And that had a lot to do with how personally overwhelmed I was starting to, to feel, realizing, you know, I'm in a room with all these people, all these fans, and knowing that if I hadn't done like what Greg was saying in the beginning, the stuff I'd done all those years earlier, we might not be sitting in that room. So I was in my own personal emotional space. I remember clips and pieces, but I don't think I could describe the whole thing for the audience. Can you do that? All right. So for this one, um, 
basically the the rope beast reminded me a little bit of did you guys see uh thor the original thor the first thor movie oh the um the big which is i'm watching right now um <laughs> yeah the big monster at the end where he had to battle yeah yeah and the the one that knocked him down and they thought he was dead dead yeah it was actually loki in the in the the big metal thing where he he used fire and everything to mm-hmm. to knock down the town. That was what it what it reminded me of. And Joaquin dos Santos is from his uh, Legend of Korra stuff and Avatar stuff. He's known for his his fight choreography. Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to the the Voltron fighting the Roe Beast in this in this particular thing, I think it a lot of it's coming from Joaquin. You know, you, you get to see a little bit about how the stakes have been risen and, you know, some of the weapons that the Robeasts are going to be using and some of the weapons that Voltron's going to be using. So I assume you all like the scene. <laughs> it it was a good fight scene, but, I mean, it, it didn't give a, a clear ending, obviously. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I wish I had paid more attention to this particular scene because I'm like, oh, dang, I missed the whole fight. <laughs> Like, whatever they had to offer. Because, I mean, that's basically what we're all there for is how the big guy handles a Robies fight. Because, you know, we grew up on the Robies of the day type of thing and how the uh, how Voltron will defeat that particular Robies at that time. Um, but, yeah, I wish I had paid more attention to this particular clip. Again, I wasn't there, but I still, I just want to know if the space mice are going to show up. We have not seen them yet. <laughs> Uh, okay. Nope. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we come back from this, and I think they start asking uh, fan questions, right? Yeah. Yeah. They yep. asked uh, fan questions, and uh, unfortunately, I didn't hear some of them. Um, some of them were like a little cringeworthy, but you know, it's fans being fans. Right. Yeah. Some of these are hard to 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 hear the actual fan question. Uh, there was one yeah. question about diversity, and that was very low. And then when Lauren answers it, it's 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 kind of low too. But you'll you should be able to hear it. Questions. So raise those hands now because we are short on time. With that, I want to make a quick announcement that Mighty Fine has two Voltron T-shirts for sale in booth number one zero zero three. And the artwork that you guys were just handed during the panel is also a wonderful exclusive. So you can get those signed by Joaquin and Lauren and supervising producer Kate. Thank you. I just want to say our entire crew's here, uh, our production crew. Hey, So, so Peter, I think, 
I, I, I will say he was, he's ingrained in my memory as the voice of, of Voltron, but he's also ingrained in my memory as the voice of Optimus Prime, um, which is awesome. So I think, you know, for us, it's a little bit of a safer bet right now to maybe not bring an Optimus Prime in our big robot show. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we're, look, we're nostalgic hounds, man, so I think, I think we're, we're open to all of that for sure. Yeah. So that was the question about diversity, about you yeah. know, what's why why the differences from the original Voltron to this cast. Well, I mean, which is fine by me. The the cast is uh, very good, and uh, you can't compare it to 1984 Voltron because you know they had five guys doing a hundred voices for the series because you know they're working on a limited budget. So um, it's nice to see. Even in, it's reflected in even in the character designs too. That cast is diverse as well as the characters are diverse. Right. Yeah. I, I, to be to be frank, given that uh, acknowledgement of uh, you know a more pluralistic sort of society or a more diverse society or you know the the more overt acknowledgement that we do today than we did thirty years ago, I'm mm -hmm. still quite surprised that we have five males as the pilots of these lions. I, yeah. I, I still think that's that's almost shocking, um, but I, I I I have a hunch that that's not always going to be the case yeah. as the show unfolds. Okay. I do agree with Greg. But then at the same time, with all the point, we need to diverse, we need to mix up. And then that whole misidentification of Pidge early on, mm -hmm. you hear that at the end, it's like, would I have looked at that differently if I hadn't have had that experience? Which I'm not ragging on them. It's just kind of interesting. I went, hmm, yeah, we mixed it up, and yet we kept nostalgic expectations to a degree. I thought yeah. it was a good way to handle both those, all things considered. Okay. Yeah. You know how they were introducing the cast, and hate to tread back to that point, but, you know, um, for Kimberly Brooks, and uh, they totally glossed over Princess Alora um, and Kimberly Brooks' portrayal, and I wanted to actually get more insight on who this Princess Alora is going to be. Um, we, know, we know the five cadets, we know the five guys, um, and what their purpose is, but, I mean, we only got a little bit of what who and who Koran and Princess Allura is, and how they how they relate to the entire story. So that was kind of my disappointment of the panel is they kind of glossed over um, those two characters and seeing how those two characters are instrumental to the entire Voltron lore. It was it was kind of like wait we're missing something. So it, it was kind of like surprising and a little disappointment for me that we didn't get to hear from. Um, you know, the two actors uh, on their characters that they portray. I agree. And my biggest concern there, Danny, is is what about the new people that came in? Where this heiress is something kind of unknown to them. I'm not saying you have to overload it, but yeah. I almost felt like there was too little. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I just felt bad because, you know, the two actors were on the panel and they barely said anything except for that one little uh, little quip. Um, but other than that, I felt really bad that, you know, they were there, but they didn't do much on the panel. So it's like, oh. Yeah, well, that's you know. a shame. Yeah, I, it's a shame. I think, uh, and again, this is this is something over time. Again, I wasn't there, but yeah. at the panel, but but over time, I've really gained a a, a, a heightened appreciation of Princess Allura as a character. As a kid, I, I will tell you that that much of my impression of her was driven by the episode where she kind of loses her 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 marbles and goes after the white lion, thinking mm-hmm. it's her father. This nonsensical story that that just doesn't hold up. And then the episode where she's wanting to go and fight and Koran spanks her and locks her in her room. And those two episodes really sort of made me think negatively of her as a character when I was a child. But in revisiting the character and seeing her through the lenses of the third dimension and Voltron Force, what I'm getting at, the long story, the lots long story, the short story is I think she is one of the most interesting characters in the Voltron storyline and yeah it is it is a bummer that uh, that her character was not really discussed very much in during the panel but I'm sure we're going to see a lot of her as the show goes on so so this is this is a big sort of uh, you know potential point of contention but I think um, you know we sort of I don't know if you guys could hear in the music we went with this sort of sort of synthy, kind of 80s sound. Um, and I think that was our, our way of paying homage to that era and that era that we grew up in. I think there might be a way that we could work in the original theme, but as far as that being, you know, Voltron's, you know, theme, we decided it was probably best to go in a new direction musically. Because the old one was so sort of company and, and kind of, you know, Arthurian in a way. Um, you know, maybe we can work in it. You know, we might be able to work in it that way. <laughs> I think they can say, let's go Voltron, not Voltron Force. <laughs> <laughs> we can still do it, they can still do it. Okay, yes. one, two, three. Let's go Voltron! They don't want to say Voltron Force, because there was already a Voltron mm-hmm. Force show. Yep. Yeah. That's yep. That was my re- my read on it too. It's the branding issue because that's the most recent series prior. Yeah. And they don't want to say form, feet, and legs. Huh. Which makes me wonder what what you know. I've always wondered what do those guys do when they're actually in the lion cockpits when they form Voltron. But if, you know, if if Keith isn't actually, or I'm sorry, Shiro isn't actually ordering them to do whatever it is they need to do to form the robot, how does it work? Did they just? Um, you know, use thought waves or something, or how does this work? They're cutting their nails. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess we'll find out. Yeah, I think uh, I think the issue is to a lot of people don't you know it, it, Go Lion Voltron was of a time when um, you know it it, it I considered the animated so, uh, Sentai, which is like Power Rangers. So at the time, you know the those type of serials, the five guys might perform the robot, but there wasn't really a joining robot till later until the animation series started up. Um, so them being in their own cockpits is kind of a new strange thing. Cause later in the Sentai in the power Rangers universe, they formed the robot, but it all came into the center center of the robot together into a, like a little control cockpit. So they're all working together from this cockpit. 
Whereas now, I mean, with Voltron, they're all in their individual cockpit. So it's it's one of those questions like, what do they actually do? And um, and one of those like reality. But if Voltron's punching somebody, what happens to Lance and Pidge in that process? Because you know they're 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 in the lion's heads and they're you know they're getting the full force of a punch when Keith decides to punch a Roby style. So Ow. it's one of those it's one of those. <laughs> One of those questions you have when you're an adult <laughs> watching the series over again after watching what happened in like Power Rangers and other Sentais where they come into a center cockpit, which makes more sense than being in the individual uh-huh. limbs. So it's just, it's just one of those like, wait a minute, how are they going to address this in this series? So we'll we see. Will see. <laughs> Good question. It is. It's, it's, it's one of those like, it's one of those yeah. questions you come up with later on in life. Like, but if he's punching somebody, wouldn't Pidge be like all... <laughs> banged up and sore and something and it's like is there inertial dampeners in the cockpit so it prevents him from getting like knocked around when he's uh, punching something danny i heard a star trek techno babble term <laughs> i love it <laughs> these these are science questions i know they are they're i mean you're supposed to suspend your you know science beliefs but you know there's there's some real science tech in these in these shows that you you want to see happen and kind of explain stuff and not suspend your reality for a bit just so that you understand what's going on yeah i'm with you Great 
it's, it's balanced very, very well, which is a really hard thing to do. It's very difficult to do, they balance it extremely well. It's a tough balance, yeah. And on the uh, art side, we just basically brought our whole core. Everybody, the majority of the people sitting over there are... the panel Wait, there's one more clip at the end and i want i want somebody else to describe it to make sure i saw what i thought i saw i probably can just cover some of it because it was it was it was a lot of clips run together yeah. in one continuous i swear to god they were like probably five seconds each of clips um this is what i saw we got to see urak in his form um I guess that's gonna be urak because it totally looks like urak we saw yes, uh, we saw um prince lotor so we get to, uh, so he is part of the series sometime. I don't know when he's going to appear, but that was definitely a little tour. We saw uh, the witch Hagar. Um, she had a very, very quick um, appearance in the, uh, in the clip. Um, we saw a bunch of Robies, uh, different designs. There was also uh, one Robies that looked like it was from the old series as well. So they, they probably redesigned it, redesigned one of the older Robies. Um, again, this is what's, these were really fast clips. Then we we got to see um, the lion ships, all five of them uh, working together. And then uh, toward the end, they they show them uh, heading up into the sky, ready to form the big robot. And they just ended it right there, so you couldn't even see them do the formation. But it's it's really odd because it's like oh you saw you saw after the formation where he's fighting. So it's it's kind of like these fast clips of Voltron fighting the different characters that are appearing in the uh, in the series. Uh, but but the big surprise was seeing Prince Lotor and the Witch Hagar as well because you know we we. Received even through the panel, we heard nothing about those two characters, so it was nice seeing them in the in the ending clips. Now, for me, there's mm -hmm. one other shot I'm pretty sure I saw, and one I didn't see, but my husband swears he saw. Mm -hmm. The one I'm pretty sure I saw was Alora in the pink trimmed outfit behind some kind of console. Hmm. I'm pretty certain I saw her. Yeah, That's something cool. I saw with either one of you. Yeah, uh, I I saw a flash of pink. I did see. Definitely Koran, and, and they were in this high-tech uh, control room. So That's I'm assuming, 
I'm assuming that's uh, that's gonna be the new the new control room we'll we'll see in the, uh, in the series. So, kind of really excited, really excited what for the fast clips. I mean, it really went by really quick. And, right. And what, now, and what did you say your husband saw or thought he saw? Okay, this is the thing. It may have been where I was sitting compared to what he he was sitting because he was on the end of the aisle and I was the one seat in. He said to me, he said, "Did you see the castle?" I said, "No, I didn't." He said to me. The castle looked like the Flying Fortress. Oh, the, Did the, I see um, that, or was he mistaken? No, I don't think he was mistaken. Yeah, I think I think he saw what he saw, because it did look yeah, like the cool. Flying Fortress. It really did. So I'm assuming that's the design they took, or is this, a, you know, like how they revealed in the original series that it was the second version of the castle? So I don't know. <laughs> question: Will it be the first version? Will there be a first or second? Will this be the first one? That's another yeah. big mystery I want to see. Yeah, that's definitely that's definitely what I see too. Because is it is it going to be um, is it going to be something that helps Voltron in in, in his battles too? Because you know the Flying Fortress in the end of the Go Lion or Voltron series, Lion Force. Um, you know, it, it went to Planet Doom and it helped Voltron to defeat you know the castle up there. So. I'm it's like, whoa, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, I, I have to tell you, I'm very curious to see what the castle is going to look like, in part because while I'm very open-minded about each new incarnation of Voltron, I generally have only liked the 80s castle in terms of its appearance. You know, in third dimension, it was shaped like the, the high-tech castle, but looked like it was made of stone. I never cared for that look. Uh, in Voltron Force, as much as I love the show, uh, I just the castle just never clicked with me for some reason, um, either as a castle or as the flying ship in, in the last episode. But uh, so I've got a I, I I've got a real soft spot for the '80s castle, and I'm very curious to see what they'll do in this new series. Well, I think anybody with the old uh, uh, old playset well, is has an affiliation to the old castle too. Yes, true. <laughs> The castle was never the same to me after Gary, the giant Gary, walked through half the wall of the castle in Voltron Force. Yeah, when he broke out the whole back wall, um, <laughs> sort of defying <laughs> physics by being in one room of the castle, you know, one big hangar, and then all of a sudden walking and being about as big as the whole castle, yeah. <laughs> smashing out the... It, it, didn't, it didn't seem as tough as, uh, as it had before, did it? Right. Oh, Gary. <laughs> right. So, so here we are at the end. Here we've we've talked about the panel. We've we've uh, tried to speculate a little bit about what the the show might include, uh, but what we don't know is is a lot more, you know, than what we do know. Still, even after the panel, as it should be. I mean, you know, yeah. we haven't seen it yet. <laughs> yeah. I, so. I, as much as they did show and reveal in in the panel, I, I'm glad that they still kept a lot of mystery. So when the when it, when you do have a chance to actually watch it, which I'll definitely be binge watching on June 10th, um, you, you know you not everything has been revealed, so you get that nice expectation of what's going to happen in the series. And you got to know if if the actors themselves hadn't even seen that Roby's clip yet, that. Yeah, they're, they're they're doing a lot of build up of to when Voltron gets formed for the first time. Mm -hmm. I think I, I I think from the the panel you could see how uh, very uh, enthusiastic the uh, actors were, and it looked like they they're very surprised at how well everything is coming together. 
Um, so that sounds that that really bodes well for the series from their point of view. Because if the actors like what they're seeing, then you know maybe maybe we'll like what we see too. Yeah, definitely. I got nothing other than to say I'm looking forward to the show. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, one little aspect that was also glossed over is um, you know that they, they say that you know Zarkon has been uh, ruling the universe for ten thousand years, so. Um, and, you know, they barely explain, uh, again, this is why I was kind of disappointed in why uh, Allura, them, Allura and Karan weren't focused on or wasn't um, talked about, was has Allura and Karan been in hibernation for 10,000 years? Or are they waiting for something to happen? Or were, you know, is it like the original Voltron Force where they just, they're just generation after generation waiting for the right crew to finally come around to man? Voltron. That, Danny, that reference gets made in like a one-sentence throwaway, which I don't think we could hear very well. Yeah. They do, they do say that Koran and Allura were in a cryogenic sleep. Who put them so, there, we don't know. Why? Yeah, so so they, they're, they're from a... I guess they're, they themselves are from an old old generation, and they're finally woken, and how, they're get, how they got woken up, or how they are out of hibernation i guess we'll have to watch the series for it and so, like like i said i'm so i'm just disappointed they didn't focus on you know revealing some information about who princess Alora and koran are because that would kind of like seal like okay that's who they are that's the reason why they're here yeah it, it you know i hadn't thought of this uh in discussing uh this uh the panel with mark in the previous episode i hadn't thought mm-hmm. of any of this till now um, you know, we know nothing about Eris or Altea or whatever they call it in this new series. Mm-hmm. So it'll be very interesting to see what the world of, of uh, Eris and Altea are going to be like for Allura and Karan when they are, are, are revived. Yeah. Are they going to be surprised by what they see? Is Eris itself somehow in some kind of cryogenic something, something? I mean, what, what, what? what's that world that they're going to wake up to going to be like and will Allura right out of the gate be the de facto ruler or will there be some provisional government or what I mean there there could be a whole complex B plot going on just there on Eris or Altea yeah. you know right yeah so yeah again it's it, I just I wish they had you know touched upon those two characters a little just to give us an insight as to what what their purpose is or what they're going to be as far as the series go so i'm like oh only if they could have spoken a lot (laughs) spoken at least something so we can get a general idea of what's what's happening yeah we'll probably get a few more trailers before june 10th yeah we do have some unfinished business here for the podcast because we did make a promise to the listeners of the podcast that we were going to give away a prize. Oh, awesome. Very cool. Yeah, let's find out who it is. Well, I, I think we've let these people sweat enough. <laughs> Should we give away a framed lithograph signed by the whole cast and crew of Voltron Legendary Defender from WonderCon? Yes, that's an yeah. cool. awesome one. Yes. Okay, then, drum roll, please. The winner of the signed lithograph is Megan Whidden. Yay, Megan! Congratulations. Congratulations, Megan. We'll contact you by email to get your address. Yes, congratulations. Thank you, Megan, for your great questions. 
Yeah, that's going to be quite a collectible. I mean, not just because of the uh, the Voltron connection, but the uh, the past uh, uh, work of all the folks involved. That is really uh, uh, quite a win. Yeah, that is okay. just awesome, especially from all the cast too. And it includes Neil Kaplan. Oh, see, nice. Excellent. Yeah, Zarkon's on there too. Yes. Nice. Uh, I want to thank uh, you guys for joining us this week on, on Let's Voltron, the official Voltron podcast. Yes, thanks for being here. Yes, thank you so much for inviting us. And uh, again, Mark, it was it was so awesome to meet you at uh, WonderCon um, and uh, get to sit with you in on, on the panel. It, it was great. That was definitely a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Yes. Great to meet you, Shannon. <laughs> Likewise, I just wanted to, again... Thank you for having me back, for for letting me share with you, and, and back to stuff we came up with, you know, when we were talking in the beginning. No matter what, I know I've, I've you know, I've been around now professionally for 20 years. I know that it may sound like that I'm more distanced, and I, I hopefully not coming off as any more jaded. My heart, my passion is still very much in this property. If I could ever get the chance to work on it again in any capacity, I'd do it in a heartbeat. But just to see how many other people share that same kind of passion is amazing. Yeah, Thank and you. you know, I was I was uh, talking with uh, Franklin too at the WonderCon, and you know, I pretty much thanked him for coming up or being part of the series because, you know, just like you, Shannon, without Voltron, I wouldn't be where I am today. It was definitely, it I can relate everything to my passion and my love of the series because um, to to where I am today. So I, I'm very eternally thank you, uh, World Events and everyone who's involved and in keeping keeping Voltron alive even after 25 some 25 years, um, basically. And uh, you know, just it's it's a love of mine. I I cherish it a lot, and um, I'm hoping that a new generation of fans will be developed from the new series and it will continue being it, it will continue to capture the imagination of everyone who do watch it well thanks thanks to you both for being on and you're both yeah. welcome back at any time yeah thank i'm you. always open to participate <laughs> great thanks again thank you guys well there's there's one way that we usually close out the show so are you guys ready yeah let's do it we'll see you all next time on Let's Voltron. Let's Voltron. Let's Voltron. Let's Voltron. Let's Voltron.